0: Hello, everyone. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming out. I'm Zan Rowe. I'm a Triple J presenter, and um, and this is, I think, my 15th time interviewing Elfresh. No, it's not. It's a few times, though. We've had a few chats in the past, so I'm very excited to have another chat with Elfresh. Uh, please make him very welcome. Uh, thank you. Full title, Elfresh the Lion. Uh, a man behind two great records, the most recent of which become, came out in 2016. And you might have seen Elfresh on Saturday at Worm Adelaide playing on this stage here just yesterday. Or perhaps you saw him stirring the pot quite literally at Taste the World earlier today. What did you cook?
1: Uh, one of Mira's tour recipes. She led the, the session and, and cooked a, like a vegetable risotto. And did, really you, cool. did you help? I helped by stirring a pot, literally, like you said, pretty much, that was it. Um, all the prep had already been done beforehand. Mira was like saying to the band, it was myself, Chris, our bass player, and Dwayne, our guitarist. And she was like, okay, you're going to be chopping all the vegetables. But we got there, it was already done. <laughs> Free ride, it's all good.
0: This is your first time at Worm Adelaide. Madelaide. Yep. Have you been checking out the other stages and, and, and seeing anything today or yesterday?
1: Yeah, not yesterday. Yesterday was chaotic for us. So uh, as soon as we kind of finished, we, we only hung around for a bit before getting some rest. But uh, today, got to check out the magnificent Archie Roach. Uh, that was special. Uh, you know, dis- despite the rain, it was still a, a beautiful set. And then also got to see uh, Anna on Foundation Stage, which was mind-blowing. That was, that Anna, was awesome. And to you from yes. Chile? yeah. Yes. Yeah, the band was fantastic. And her cadence with her raps was just yeah it was awesome
0: what's it like for you because you're no stranger to festivals and you've been you know playing them in, in different uh, styles of music all over australia for the last few years what's it like for you to come into a festival like WOMAD, adelaide which is obviously very different to your falls festival or your groove in the moo which you're going to be doing in in the next month or so
1: yeah i, I really enjoy womad coming to WOMAD, mad you know first time here but What's special about it is, I think, pretty evident. It's just so comfortable getting around, and it's such a beautiful location. The people are awesome, and I love that it's a family vibe. And I think that's, you know, a great a a festival with a great culture is rare. You know, often it's 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 just about the music, which is cool. But I think what makes a festival special is when it's a lot more than that. You know, and there's something for everybody, and um, there's there's so much exploring to do. So that's what's what I really enjoy about WOMAD so far.
0: It's been a really busy weekend for you as well. On Friday night you were at Paramasala, which is a huge uh, Indian festival which happens in Parramatta, Western Sydney. And I was... Yeah, shout-outs to Paramasala. Hey, Paramasala. Sydney. It's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or Western Sydney. Just shout-outs to Western represent. Sydney. <laughs> um, I was watching your... I wasn't there because I was here, but I was, saw on your Instagram and your Facebook that you invited uh, a big handful of... Sikh youth to get on stage and sing with you what what was that song
1: yeah so uh, that was a really special moment uh, for me it was and, and for the group I it, the thought behind that was was it was two I suppose lines of uh, thinking behind it one was at the start of the year I, I was able to pa- participate in the Sikh youth uh, camp which is awesome. It's a great way to kind of kick off the year. And and volunteering there is is also, you know, hanging out with young people in the community from across the country, but there's also people from, you know, all over the world, New Zealand. People come from New Zealand and and, um, Singapore, Canada. It's crazy. So that was really cool. And I surprised the kids there because I was only there for one day this time. One night, sorry. Normally I'm there for the the whole four or five um, days. So I was only there for one one night. So I thought, okay, what can I give to them that they can take with them when they finish their camp experience, often the feedback is they go home and they feel so proud of who they are, where they where they come from. They feel a sense of grounding in their in their spirituality and their culture. But as the year progresses, they feel like it's they lose that motivation and that inspiration, and um, the, you know, as the challenges of life kind of take over. So I, you know, I did a couple of workshops and uh, sampled their voices during the workshops. Just the things that we were talking about, a lot of it was writing it into prose or poetry and sampled their voices and then asked one of the kids who I knew was a musician, she played, uh, sampled her playing the piano and then turned it all into a song in, on the day based on what they had spoken about, uh, recorded the verses in my car. So I locked myself in the car, I'm like, that's my sound booth for, for right now and, and laid it all down, mixed it and then played it to them uh, that evening. And it was just a, a real, uh, the song is an affirmation for them. So as the year progresses, hopefully the idea is that they can play it and remember the things that they learned at camp and, and what they would, were, you know, buzzing on and and just, you know, be a, a thing that they could go back to. So the opportunity came up for Paramasala, and I thought, you know, it'd be a really great time to invite some of the kids to come on board and, and be a part of the show and let's perform it together, you know. So we did that and that was called cool. Sick Youth Australia and the Turban Shop combined to uh, organize and arrange the kids and support them on the day and their families. And uh, we had 17 kids on stage rocking that song. It was pretty cool.
0: You can actually see the song. It is on Al Fresh's Facebook. I think you've pinned it to the top, so it's the, yeah. It's the first thing that you yeah. see. But you do a lot of work with communities. This is not the first time that you've actually spent some time with um, communities around different parts of Australia. What other groups have you worked with in the last few years, in, in terms of you know music and community in particular?
1: Yeah, I've worked with a lot. Um, I don't know. I just I, it's it's just I feel it's intrinsic in what I do that it's it's important to do it. Uh, mostly been across the east coast of, of Australia in Sydney and Melbourne, just with young people of all walks of life, really. You know, there's just anyone, anywhere I can contribute, you know? And I think the important thing is also to recognize spaces where I can't contribute. And and that's something that, you know, where or where they don't need my contribution. So I only kind of, you know, um, uh, kind of go in when when it's when it's appropriate and just to work with, you know, whoever wants to build really. And I learn as much from that experience as, as I do in kind of just sharing what I know. Um, and it's, yeah, mostly through music uh, but the focus is generally always on empowerment, um, and yeah, it's good vibes.
0: How do you know, particularly when you're dealing with people from different cultural backgrounds, when is the point to pull back and say, okay, maybe they just they don't need me in their face, or they could, they can sort this part of what they're going through out themselves, or with someone who isn't me?
1: Yeah, I think first and foremost in that is a understanding of where my knowledge you know what the limits are to my knowledge and understanding so if i don't understand something or if i'm not grounded in that then clearly i shouldn't have an input <laughs> you know it's it's not my place so I'll, that's when i'll i'll take a step back and and you know even in 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 all of the the work that i do i i, I don't necessarily lead in a sense of like okay this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it it's like, okay, what do you want to do and how can we achieve it? What are your goals and how can we find a way to collaborate to get to wherever that space is? Uh, and so it's I suppose it's a bit of a different approach, but uh, it it's, tends to be the most fun. <laughs> you know? And
0: volunteering is obviously a way for you to give back as an individual, as it is for many people to volunteer, but I think that uh, most people who do volunteer would tell you that they get a lot out of it personally. What does it give you when you're working in different communities?
1: It keeps me grounded, you know? It, 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 it gives me a, a sense of knowing that, uh, you know, and a reminder of, hey, I'm, I'm playing a role just like everybody else. And uh, it kind of, you know, gives me a chance to learn about other people and who they are, where they're from. It gives me a chance to appreciate different ways of thinking about things. And, um, you know, it's again, it's just a fun experience, you know, just hanging out with people is, is a vibe, you know. Whenever you get the chance to do that and you're able to build towards something, it's it's always really exciting.
0: Well, your background uh, and, you know, you, the, the way that you live is a Sikh Indian. You're a, a, a practising practicing Sikh. What are some of the common narratives? For anybody who doesn't know much about your religion, what are the stories that flow through that? Is that a too big a question? Tell us the whole yeah. story. The
1: whole story. <laughs> hmm. It all started when... <laughs>
0: Once upon a time.
1: Yeah, look, I, I think a good starting point that I like to to, to go to is just kind of the, the very, very basic foundation principles and then the rest kind of stems from there. Sikh um, practice is by choice, by individual choice, and it's a discipline. So it's almost... It's, it's tough talking about this stuff because sometimes... There are tra- English translations of things just don't do it justice. But uh, it's almost like you opt in at certain points, you know, and you kind of—it's up to the individual to, to discover self. So, to the word "sick" in a very basic translation is to be a student. So to be someone who's who's constantly learning. The 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 core principle and belief is that there's one God, and God is existing within everything and everyone. Um, and that's not just here on earth but across the universe and you know um, that everyone has access to um, that level of connection to God regardless of who they are, where they're from what they believe in what language they speak that um, we may have many different names for God but it is the same same um, thing that God is so that we exist within it but also you know so then to, to try and fathom it is is, is beyond our human comprehension to be able to do so. Um, but to just appreciate the wonder that is, you know? So there's, there's, there's that as a, as a core belief. And then there's three foundation principles. Uh, one being to um, always remember that presence of God in everything and everyone. So we do that through meditation. Uh, and that's as simple as remembering the name of God and whatever you choose, whatever name you choose. Um, and to repeat that so it's a constant in remembrance, you know, and, and that's something that you can do in everything that you do. You know, It's, it's I often find that, for example, um, you know, exercise is meditation and it provides me an opportunity to reflect as I'm exercising and, and to, to constantly be meditating or chanting in my head, um, walking, running, whatever it might be, you know, that it's it's, it's a part of everyday life. Um, And then in a more practical sense, when you're conversing with people, to recognize that they are also of that same essence and to remember that when you're engaging with people or animals or whatever it might be. The second principle is to um, work hard and to earn an honest living. So by that it means, you know, what you do with your hands is it needs to be a positive thing. It can't be something that, you know, exploits others or other living things or there's something that must be honest and then the third part of that is the third value is um, service serving the community that you're in wherever you are and playing a positive role so uh, those three tend to be the the core foundation principles of sikh doctrine and, and belief and then the rest is kind of you know you're learning as you go and and you just kind of build
0: I was going to ask you what it involves day to day, but it feels like it's interweaved into everything that you do and every choice that you make.
1: Yeah, most definitely, you know? Um, so when people... I don't know, when people kind of point out, you know, I, I'm a I'm a Sikh rapper, it's, or do, does my, does my you know, faith practice influence my music? And it's kind of like, well, I suppose. Inevitably, it, it informs everything that I do, you know? Subconsciously, it's just the way that I was raised and 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 what i've been training in so to speak
0: well speaking of how you were raised what sort of music was playing in your house when you were growing up in in western sydney southwestern sydney
1: yeah southwest sydney um <laughs> mostly mostly see traditional music which is like i suppose our version of gospel so all pretty much all of sick um text or I mean, this is a very bad trend and English doesn't do it justice, but it's all written in music and poetry. So it, all the prayers and all it's all music. So that's nonstop been a part of my life since day one. Um, and then, you know, as a kid, it was also just whenever my I suppose my parents wanted to watch Punjabi or Hindi movies, so Punjabi and Hindi music, when I started going to school, it was, you know, friends introducing me to, to Western music, you know, and, and then having an ear for it and finding what I liked, but at the very beginning, I was listening to whatever was given to me, you know? And so I remember one of the first, uh, I probably shouldn't say it. But one of the first records I got from in primary school was a Backstreet Boys record. Um, no shame. You know? That's so, fine. Um, and so... And then in high school, I got introduced to hip-hop. It was in high school. I was like 13, 14, and one of my friends gave me Eminem's Master of Mathers LP. And then it was just like, whoa, what is this? You know, it just kind of, I dived in from there on my own and um, found, you know, so much music from that point.
0: And that has come to inform your life in such a huge way. Can you remember that first moment, what it was that particularly drew you to hip hop?
1: I think it was the storytelling, you know, for me as a, as a teenager in, in Southwest Sydney, it was like hearing these songs almost felt like um, conversations. In, in the way the story was being told. And even though I, I wasn't giving back to these conversations in the way that we're having a conversation now, it was like, I, I just felt like I was being listened to. I think that was maybe because I could just relate to the emotion and what was being shared by the artists I was listening to. And just that, the the I suppose, the general feeling, not, sense, not specifically the experiences. And that was kind of the most, I suppose, relatable form of music that i had found at that point and the way in which the stories were articulated the voices the way in which the voices were used the fact that there's a lot of lyrics you know it goes into detail um the passion energy all of that just kind of captured me and um I just you know kind of just dived into that world from that point and stayed in it
0: And a particular love of 90s hip-hop as well. Like when you listen to an Elfresh the Lion record, there is a definite tip of the cap to that era of of hip-hop. What was it about that s- sound in particular and that delivery that you still love now in, in 2017?
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of like a mixture of um, just fun and dog lyricism, you know? and And a lot of kind of lyrics that made you think about things. Um, while also making you feel and wanting to get up and move. You know, I I like that tradition of music.
0: Do you think that also that just that, I guess, the playfulness of 90s hip-hop and that melody uh, suits the style of music that you do a a lot better? Because there's obviously a lot of hip-hop that is a lot darker um, and doesn't have that same sense of hope. Do you think that that melody works well with the kind of stories that you're trying to tell?
1: Uh, You know, generally speaking, probably, every song's different. You know, like... There might be songs you know on the new record there's a song called be cool which has no melody but it works you know so i just yeah if it feels good it feels good you know whether there's a melody or not but most of the time we tend to start with a feeling or a vibe which you know um, in most cases is informed by some sort of melody or chord arrangement of of some sort
0: what did your parents think when you first started making your own hip-hop
1: yeah, good question. Um, I, I think you know they were pretty supportive from the get go. They they kind of were intrigued by my passion for music. It never really got in the way of what I was doing, you know. So they were happy that I was at school. I was doing pretty good, um, and that it wasn't distracting me from anything. If anything, it gave me more focus. So, you know, I remember the first public gig that I did outside of school was at a gig in Campbelltown called Fisher's Ghost or Fisher's Gig. And uh, I had made my first demo CD, which had five tracks on it. And my dad um, took me to uh, a place to get it pressed and we didn't know where. We didn't know how to do any of this stuff, really. It was just whatever I had figured out, and this was how to do it. And so we just traveled like an hour and a half or something to go to this place to pick up.
0: You just like Google, where do you get CDs pressed?
1: Pretty much. Google was my best friend. I didn't, no one told me how to do any of this. So, um, yeah, we we drove a ridiculous amount of time to find a place. I bet you there was probably like one, like 10 minutes away. Um, But we, we found a space, and dad, you know, put out the money for it, and we got 50 CDs pressed and well copied and 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 made uh but the way that it was done was because i didn't get the minimum amount like the bare minimum amount that you you're supposed to get when they do everything for you in terms of like the packaging and and all that sort of stuff and putting it all in was like a 100 or something i was like oh i was like i can't i just didn't want 50. so they they copied it all to a point they printed everything but you had to fold all the paper and stuff yourself and i remember that the first gig at Fisher's gig my mom and my brother in the car folding the liner notes and sliding them into the CD and it's it's really cool because I'm like okay well that's 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 an awesome memory to have of you know you think, well its probably means I was a bit of a uh, an asshole for not doing it myself <laughs> but <laughs> excuse my language but you know but you know, they, they, they did it, you know, and it was really cool and sweet of them to do that. And so, you know, that my parents have been pretty supportive from the get-go. I suppose the challenges came when I finished university um, with a law degree and an arts degree, and I said, OK, well, now I'm going to do music full-time. And they freaked out a little bit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you are joining the many thousands of lawyers around Australia who actually don't use their degree for what they were supposed to.
1: My argument is I use it in a different way. Yeah. It, you know, it's a way of thinking and it's informed a lot of what I do. Well, not a lot, some of what I do. But, you know, who knows when it'll come in handy. You know, it's nice to be able to float that around when you're in business negotiations.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and you're still arguing, aren't you? You're just arguing, arguing in rhyme and in song. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah, to some degree, yeah.
0: <laughs> what were those early lyrics like, the very first pressed CD, those 50 copies? What sort of stories were you telling then?
1: Yeah, one song that kind of comes to mind is a song I wrote called "Childhood Memories," and it was really just about growing up in Western Sydney and what that was like. Um, I was very much influenced by Tupac at that point, so my style—I literally bit his style, you know. And uh, it was—it's it was, still a you know still a good memory to have of that song. It's uh, it's it's a good vibe. So we were so inspired by that Tupac Changes song. So it's a piano, um, you know, progression. Just drum and rhyming over the top of it, and that was pretty cool. That was the first song I recorded in a proper studio, uh, and that was good fun. And then other songs on there, I'm trying to remember. I, I think they were just general ref- reflections of where I was at that point in time. Um, yeah, there was nothing kind of really stands out. I wasn't really kind of... Maybe I was, I don't know. I to, I'd to. i have to listen back to it. Not that I want to. As they're pretty terrible songs, but... Um, <laughs> I've got like four or five copies left of those CDs at home, which is just... Hold on memorable. to those. Yeah, for sure, definitely.
0: You mentioned before that, you know, being a Sikh is something that is interwoven into any, every part of your life. There's no separation or thinking about how it plays a part every day. But even in those early days, was that still part of your music? Because you're very overt with uh, your religious background, your religious life, in your two records you've released. Has it always been the case?
1: No, as a teenager, I, I rejected it, you know. So I, I kind of felt that it was a hindrance in where I wanted to go. Um, and so, you know, I wouldn't, you know, we don't, you know, six, those who opt in at this point don't cut their hair. So I used to trim my beard as a kid, and i get my hair braided and stuff like that, thinking that was, was going to help me along my path. But at some point, I realized that... And, Hip hop appreciates authenticity and originality. It look it hunts for it and it supports it fully. So you know, um, the more I w- just you know the more I kind of went in and decided to focus on myself and who I was and what that means. You know, from that point on, everything just kind of that's when everything started to move for me. You know, and that was probably when I was. When I just graduated high school, year 12, Um, at that point I was like, okay, I feel like I know what I need to do and where I need to go, so put my head down and focus and let me just get better at what I do and understand who I am and um, just go, you know?
0: That still seems like a relatively early age to have such conviction. There's a lot of people who don't really get that sort of self-awareness and self-knowledge until they're in their mid to late 20s. Were you aware of even that, that you you had that sort of sense of self at such a young age? Or was it just normal?
1: No, I've always kind of been uh, a bit of an introvert, you know, and kind of what's going on in here, you know, and, and getting my energy from, from here most of the time. Um, so even as a teenager, I was just kind of always kind of looking in. But, you know... It, it meant that a lot of things didn't make sense to me at the time as a teenager. Um, and, you know, a lot of there was a lot of reflection and, I suppose, anxiety and tension. But as a as a teenager, once I'd hit that 18 point, you know, it was like a bit more of a focus and uh, a bit more of a direction. I, I didn't know where I fit, you know, where I sat amongst everybody else, else relative to my age. But it yeah, never kind of came into my thinking. I was like, okay, I know what I need to do. Let's go Just begin. Yeah.
0: On your latest record, Become, there's a song called Never Alone where you talk about some of the people that you look up to um, and there's people that are, I guess, big figures that are not necessarily related to you and then you also remember uh, or talk about your auntie and and your mum. What sort of role do women play in in Sikh culture and and in your life in particular?
1: Yeah, so from the get-go, Sikh principle and... Is you know it was always around equality, so men and women need to be treated equally and given the same access to everything. And so, as a as a foundation, it permeates throughout Sikh belief. Uh, not so much practice because you know in this day and age, definitely at the beginning, but not so much in this day and age because you know I acknowledge that we still live in a, a very you know male dominated world all over the world. You know, so that's kind of permeate you know infiltrated Sikh practice as well but throughout history particularly in those foundation years of of you know Sikh, Sikh history uh, women played such important roles you know and they were not second to men they were equal to men and so you know they were leaders in in so many aspects of Sikh um uh life you know leading congregations leading armies um Helping establish institutions, running, um, you know, um, uh, running those institutions, and uh, you know the the primary, you know, um, givers of knowledge, and um, participating in every facet of of practice. So um, to look back at that in history is 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 awesome. But it's also, and and why I chose to write that song is because. I didn't hear about those stories until I looked for them you know no one would really share them you had to kind of dig for those who would who were conscious of that history and was sharing them to to the community so it was like well why don't I why don't we hear more of those stories you know and particularly living in the West it's like um, we gain access to our history through storytelling and to not be able to hear those stories means that we miss out. So if I didn't hear it, what about the next generation? Who's going to tell those stories? And if they don't have access to, um, you know, seek leadership in the way that my family are, are lucky to have and, and to be able to hear and be privileged to stories being passed down in that way, then then how are they going to hear it? You know. So it's like, okay, well, let me make this song that not only tells the the, the some of, some history of some amazing people. Um, but also tells it in a way where throughout the song you assume I'm talking about men, you know, and then you get to the end and you realize, well, hang on, he was talking about all about women. Um, so yeah, you know, it was it's it's one of those things that I that I constantly think about, you know, like okay, well, how how do we level out the playing field, and, and what's my role in that, and at what in, you know, which stages do I need to need to uh, relinquish space and relinquish power in order for Uh, there to be uh, equality.
0: It's interesting to, uh, I guess, think about the sort of people that come to your show because there, I imagine, would be a lot of people in the crowd who had never engaged in any sort of Sikh culture and you're telling these stories to an audience that is hearing them fresh for the first time. How do you kind of approach that as a performer and you, you, I guess, getting in from very base level of absolute ignorance to what you're talking about and then at the same time, you have these stories that you're telling from a perspective to a community that has only heard one side of the story, as you hear there. Like it's it must be a very broad audience to perform to.
1: Yeah, but it's awesome. You know, this is really cool about it. You know, it, I don't over thi- I don't overthink it. You know, it's one of those things. Just like let's just um, as a as a group collectively, myself, you know, and, and with my band on stage, it's like let's just do us fully, and you know the way that we are as people will, I suppose, naturally come across on stage and, and that is, that's the, the the beginning right there. You know, and it's, you know, when we play, it's it's all about good vibes, having fun. So, you know, we hope it's a welcoming space, a safe space and, and one where people can be themselves without hesitation, you know? So if we do that on stage, then hopefully it'll be reflected in a crowd. So, you know, we don't overthink it to the point of, okay, well, how do we, you know, make people feel? Uh, let's just do us and, you know, hopefully it's mirrored.
0: You don't have a manifesto that you run through behind, you know, backstage when you're thinking about how you're actually going to do this.
1: No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what do you see in front of you then if you're talking about transforming that space? Because if anybody has ever seen Elfresh the Lion, uh, maybe saw him yesterday, maybe going to see him tomorrow with his wonderful band, uh, the space in front of you does transform. What's, what are you seeing from the stage?
1: yeah look I just reflecting on yesterday's show you know that was really cool that was a really fun show and it was just seeing the the energy i suppose develop throughout the course of the show and the numbers kind of grow and then you know seeing what songs was having certain impacts and and where the peaks were and uh seeing a lot of smiling faces is always a good thing uh and, you know, seeing a lot of kids is really cool, you know, because we don't often get that opportunity to perform in front of an all-ages crowd. And to, so to see young people get down is is so heartwarming. It's so much fun. And, uh, you know, it's so, you know, we just kind of... It's like, okay, being on stage, how do I take all of this in and just appreciate the moment and stay present enough to hopefully acknowledge the presence of everybody there? You know, I... I Guaranteed, I'm I, I'm not able to to do that every time because I get caught up in you know a, you know particular things or kind of just get lost in here. But um, it's just trying to to stay present and 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 just you know admire it all because it's a pretty special view from from on stage. Um, and every show is kind of different.
0: It's been interesting as a, as a punter here at Worm Adelaide just watching all the different stories that are coming out on stage from so many people of very different backgrounds from all over the world. And it seems such a dry question but still something that particularly at this of all festivals, um, there does seem to be a sense of responsibility of the position you have on stage and uh, t- telling a story or making a statement with your art. I know that you don't have a manifesto backstage before you go back out, but do you think that think on that, and does that weigh on your mind when you're thinking about the music that you make and how you're a representative of a of a you know a minority Indian community?
1: No, it kind of goes back to what we spoke about earlier, I suppose, in that you know. I, um, being, a, I suppose, a Sikh just comes across in everything that I do. And so it's, it's, it's inherently a part of the music and informs the songwriting process to some, you know, on a subconscious level, I suppose. But it's just, it's just a part of everything. So, you know, that idea of doing something, you know, for me it has to be, there has to be a purpose behind it. Otherwise there's, it's like, what are we doing it for? You know, so getting on stage is definitely a, a purposeful act, so to speak. And it's how do we use that opportunity to to um, share something of value to to, to people or with people. Uh, and same goes for, for the songs that you know that I'm making and that we make as a group. It's it's all it all weaves into that. And I think you know as much as that comes from. You know, my upbringing and my background, a lot of that also comes from the music that I enjoyed as a, as a person and as a teenager and, and for me it was always music that was of value to me that played a purpose in my life and that helped me in some way. So when it came time to making music, it was like, okay, how do I make music like that? So, you know, it's, it just it, I think it just stems from that, you know?
0: Australia is your home. You were born and bred here. Do you ever feel like an outsider though?
1: Uh, I'm not conscious of it now. I I don't think about it as much. You know, I, the song "Get Mine" speaks to it. You know, there's there's a lyric in, in "Get Mine." You know, um, they tell me to go home, but I come from here. I can see it in the eyes. that don't want me here. Um, and you know, uh, another line. I can't remember the line before it, but. Um, Trying to pick up a, a song mid-verse is is pretty challenging.
0: Why don't you just sing <laughs> but, the whole thing? Um, Wrap the whole thing.
1: That that first verse. Oh, it's a funny story actually. That that song is uh, the process of that song is probably touches on the answer a little bit because writing that song um, was a bit of a challenge in the sense of I, I wrote the three verses to that song. The second verse I reflected on what I thought my parents' journey was coming here and what the challenges they faced might have been they, they don't really share much of that with me because they tend to reflect on the positive and not the negative they I, I think they either just forget about it or don't want to talk about it so it was a lot of conversation and trying to read between lines to, to get at what that journey might, must have been like for my family so the second verse was was pretty quick to, to write because all I had to do was have conversations with my family the third verse was more of a summary of well I, I don't really care about well I acknowledge the challenges, but my inner strength is going to come out and, and, and overcome it. it. you know nothing can, can hold me back. I'm gonna do me regardless. So that third verse as well wasn't that challenging to write. The chorus came like that, but that first verse I was stuck on for a long time, and I couldn't figure out how to set up this song, this how to set it up in a way that spoke to that feeling of being an outsider, but hang on, uh, you know I'm, I'm here. And I'm a human being, so just like anybody else, I'm entitled to a level of self-respect, a level of respect and dignity, just like everybody else, um, and access. But I was on a I was on a flight. Um, I can't remember where I was going to or from. It might have been after a show, and I had the beat playing, and I was was trying to write the the verse in my you know while I was listening to the music, and I was sitting down, and there was an empty seat, and there was another woman sitting next to me, and um, as I was, you know, just... We were, you know, um, uh, taxiing down the runway, and I'm stuck on the lyric, and the lady next to me was like, you shouldn't be listening. Your, your thing needs to be off. Your phone needs to be off. And in the back of my head, I was kind of just like... And the way that she said it was really rude. And, um, and I was kind of just taken aback by that. I was just like... Well, hang on, what did you just say? Like, and she was like, you need to switch that off right now. And I was like, well, no, actually I don't need to switch it off, it's in airplane mode. Like, I can listen to my music. You're like, and who are you to tell me what I can and can't do right now? You know, like, I I don't appreciate this tension right here. And so I was just like, "Uh," put my headphone back on and just was like, no. And then you know, as the, as we were taking off, you know, there was another ethnic couple sitting in front of us, and she was one of them. leaned their seat back just as they were able to, and she started kicking the seat. And she was like, "Ah, oh, these people!" And you know, just really, I just felt like there was a lot of racial tension there. And so I'm like, "There's a fire in my chest, man. I feel it." You know, and then the verse just came out like that because it was like, okay, well, you know, got me feeling like a set, second-class citizen. Like that—that's some. In sense of entitlement that you have to be able to feel like you can tell someone what they need to do and they have to do it because you said it. It's like, I'm I'm following the rules. I know what I'm doing. You know, like come on, you could. But anyway, so that speaks a little bit to that that question. But no, I don't think about it now because I don't feel like anybody can has a right to tell me, um, you know, who I am and where I'm from. That's I know that.
0: I really wish that you'd rap that at her, just like <laughs> as soon as she wrote it.
1: This is dedicated to you.
0: And then it became like a music video. This was all playing in my head while you were mm-hmm. saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 a shame that that still exists, but I'm glad that you turned that into a really great song.
1: Oh, thank you. It's a fun song to play live too. <laughs> do
0: you favorites. think about her every time you perform it? No,
1: I don't. It? I don't. It's it's actually a it's a it's a tough song to do live from the standpoint of like it comes from a space of a sense of aggression. But to perform that song is so fun, so it's, I have to remind myself to go into a bit of a tough vocal, but I kind of don't want to when it beats st- <laughs> So it's, you know, it's just that slight reminder, hang on, just
0: switch a little bit. Well, th- I mean, I guess that just leads to my next question, which is how do you sort of you know, have that, those dual feelings of rage and hope at the same time, and obviously fun tied into that as well when you're performing? Can, can, can all of that live in performance and in music?
1: Oh, most Definitely. A, a, a really great summary of, of this concept is uh, Dr. Maya Angelou speaking about it with uh, Dave Chappelle. There's a, like a, what do you call them? They did, oh, like, that a was conversation a, thing. Yeah, there.
0: it was uh, Iconoclasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah great they Great tra- TV series, yeah.
1: That's one of my favourites watching that. Uh, and Dave Chappelle asks Maya Angelou what it was like to live during the civil rights era and to to live through the deaths of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and and how angry, you know, uh, you know, you must have been. And she was like, yeah. And he was like, how do you deal with that anger? Because he's like, I feel so angry. And she's like, well, you should feel angry, you know, but don't let it destroy you, use it. You know, inf- let it become an empowering thing and put it into music, protest, whatever it might be. But if you let it um, linger within you, it becomes, you know, toxic. And you don't want it to be toxic because then it harms you. It doesn't. It's not useful. So it's like, okay, well, we're given anger as a range, as an emotion, just like any any other emotion. It's it's a it's it's you know part of our experience as human beings. So just like everything else, how can we use it for a purpose?
0: How do you feel then, moving into the future and the state of Australia now? There's some really wonderful things happening, but there's also a lot of division everywhere in the world. Every election that we're going through, it seems to be. More about the us and them sort of mm. mentality of politics and rhetoric. Where do you sit with all of that?
1: You know, it's 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 hard not to get frustrated. It's it's actually easy to get frustrated, but again, I kind of go into a space of. Okay, well, what next? <laughs> what can we do, and and how can we how can we. How can we create? You know, like I often think. Um, I feel like a lot of energy that I've spent has been in the process of responding to to things. So responding to that negativity, that division, which is really important for us to be able to do that. So to fight back and resist against it. But I often find that I can put myself in a position where that's all that I'm doing and it can be very taxing uh, to the point of burnout. And that's not useful for me. So I try to balance them by in in more recent times putting a lot more emphasis on creation so it's like okay well what does what does the ideal look like and how do we create that in some way shape or form and then live it and you know i'm just thankful that i'm able to express it through music and then through action on stage because that means that we're living that creation you know and it's 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 reaching people we have a platform to you able to share it so if You know, I'm like my thinking is if I can spend a lot more time on creating stuff, then hopefully that will just keep building and building and building and building and outweigh that, that negativity, you know. But at the same time, it's like okay, let me let me pick the battles I need to respond to, and not give power to them and let them overrun me, but jump in when when it's when I need to and when I, or you know, again when I need to and if I'm needed, um, and then spend time creating and living with purpose
0: that's a good life model for everyone i think um i think that we've probably got a little bit of time for some questions from the audience there are a couple of microphones that are around if anybody i can't see very well but does anybody have any question if you want to raise your hand anyone no questions really <laughs> no questions okay well i was going to ask you if you oh there is one down the back okay here we go how old were you when you started rap?
1: Mm. I was 14 when I started writing rap. I think I was creative in many other ways before then. Uh, as we were watching Anna before, I, I, I shared a fun fact to to Luca and Mira and told him that I used to play the trombone in primary school. So, uh, you Is know. it
0: really hard to play trombone? It seems very hard. Yeah, it was pretty, like th- it was pretty challenging.
1: Like a guessing game. Yeah, to some degree, but then when you know what you're doing, it's kind of... You know, yeah, cool. of
0: course, when you know what you're doing, it's easy. That's yeah. the same for everything. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, it was challenging from the, at the beginning. I remember bringing that home to m- one day after school and my dad looking at me like, what the hell is that? <laughs> 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 All right, okay, whatever. Um, so yeah, I played the trombone for a little bit and then um, I also kind of learnt just musical theory and, and how to, a little bit of musical theory and enough to be able to play... You know stuff on the keyboard and and the guitar and so that was a part of i suppose that as well and my dad taught me how to play the tabla, which is like indian hand drums um so yeah i think there's always been kind of cr- a creative aspect to, to me but yeah hip-hop was when i was 14 as pretty much as soon as i started listening to what i started writing
0: did anybody else in your family are they musical are oh, your dad uh, taught you how to play the tabla, but anybody else in your family? Yeah,
1: so my brother plays the tabla now, my younger brother, and my mom and dad both, uh, you know, taking lessons in uh, classical Indian music for, yeah, for them to be able to participate in seek traditional music.
0: Any other questions from the audience? Got a couple down the front here. Uh, Who are your favourite artists or, like, who influences the music that you write?
1: Yeah, great question. When it comes to influences, I try to... When it comes to making music, I try to switch off and not be influenced by anything. That's inevitable, you know, an impossibility because I've been influenced by so much music throughout my life. But when it comes time to actually make, I'll try to switch off. But in recent times... I've been listening a lot to, just, I, I've been going back to West Coast hip-hop and a lot of that stuff. But, um, you know, stuff like Anderson Paak, um, is really cool. Um, and then I'll vibe off, like, just really the stuff that I grew up on, you know, when I need sources of inspiration. So, you know, your Most Def, Tyler, Kweli, Lauryn Hill, Jill Scott, um, Curtis Mayfield. Just a range of whatever I can find that I enjoy that has a good vibe. Um, and yeah, it's kind of endless. My, my list of, of artists, my Spotify playlists are pretty diverse. I mean, they tend to, to stick around mostly around hip hop or what inspires hip hop, but every now and then I'll dive into other stuff as well. But um, there's quite a range of artists in there.
0: I think we had another question over the side here. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering how you think we can engage the young people of Australia and the rest of the world. Um, I work as a journalist and it's really hard to get people of a younger age interested in certain topics and you do a really good job and I think there's a lot the rest of us can learn. So Do you have any advice?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. An important one, for sure, particularly considering, you know, next generation are uh, our leaders, you know, as cliche as it is. It's just a reality. Um, I think the answer to that is just to ask them go straight to them and engage them and let them lead you know they they have their ideas that you know they they know so much more than what we probably assume they know and um, just yeah provide space i think that's that's a consistent for not just with young people but any kind of group you're trying to engage i think it's give them the space give them the tools and let them go you know and they'll they'll lead they'll they'll show you what you want or they'll surprise you and give you <laughs> something that you probably didn't want, but what you need.
0: <laughs> Is there another question? Is that someone with their hand up? Yeah, it's a couple here. Oh, oh okay. Sorry. Go ahead. I Hi. can't see those past those lights. Sorry. Um, Hello. Can you tell me how you met your other band members?
1: Oh, that's yeah. That's that's a long story. But um, <laughs> uh, the short the short version. I first met my guitarist, Dwayne Chris bass player and Clinton drummer. Uh, probably when I was early twenties at um, you know, it was one of those vibes where I just started to really pursue music on a live in a live setting and, and was moving towards wanting to pursue music as a career. And one of my mentors at the time suggested I get a band together and he was like, I got the three people that you need. I'm like, okay, let's let's do it. He put a rehearsal together and we just got together and jammed and it was really, really cool. It just worked. But I didn't use them straight away uh, for live shows. I kind of, we developed and rehearsed for a number of years before we actually did a show together. And that was because I just felt like I needed to develop as an MC first. And so I needed to put myself in positions where I was uncomfortable on stage, and I was by myself, no DJ, no band, and just test myself so I could develop the skills to be able to engage an audience effectively on my own. Uh, Then we started to play a couple of gigs together. At some point I was, uh, gearing up for my first headline show. And I had in my head a vision of what I wanted for the band in terms of just expanding it. And uh, I had met MK1, my DJ, through community gigs and, and shows. And I'd met Mira, uh, Hype MC and vocalist, uh, at a radio interview. So she was a co-host for a radio show that brought me in for an interview. And then I saw Mira perform with my DJ, MK1. They've been working together forever. I, I saw them play a show at a at a youth camp. And so I was just like, okay, I need to, I wanted to expand my band for that headline show. And I, I put together a list of who my number one preferences were for DJ and, and vocalist. And it was MK1 and Mira. And I didn't come up with number two for, <laughs> for either of those lists. I just reached out and they both said yes. So, uh, we've been as a band together for five, six years now. And there's so much fun. They're just the most awesome people to hang out with, um, which is, I think, the most important thing because being on stage is really, you know, an hour max. You know, Uh, it's the least amount of time you actually spend together. You know, you spend more time preparing and hanging out than you do actually on stage. So, um, all that other stuff is actually really important. So, they're just a great bunch of people all, you know, living with such purpose and passion and um, doing amazing things outside of being in the band that uh, it's it's a privilege to be able to perform with them.
0: Got a question up the back there. Hi, I, um, we saw you perform for the first time yesterday and I just wanted to thank you for an amazing show. Oh, thank um, you. I'm a bit curious about your name and uh, the name of the band and I'm wondering if you can um, share some information with us about that and what it might mean.
1: Yeah, great question. So the band doesn't have a name, unfortunately. We haven't been able to come up with a name for the band as a collective.
0: What about Elfish um, the Lion and the Cubs? <laughs> You can use that if you want. It's a really
1: cool name. But they're all older than me. (laughs) I I can't call them... No one
0: can tell when they're that (laughs) far away.
1: Um, So, yeah, we we haven't come up with a band name. But Elfrest the Lion comes from... It's a bit of a story. So when I first started making music, it was really just for myself. It was a hobby. I didn't really share it, except with maybe a handful of friends in school. Uh, At some point, via their encouragement... Uh, I felt confident enough to be able to put it online, and I need, you know, I felt like I needed a stage name for that. And uh, hip hop has a tradition of, you know, people naming themselves or being given a name that reflects aspects of their personality that they want to, they want people to acknowledge. So my name at the time was Fresh MC, and Fresh came from just a friend in high school, just kind of, that was his compliment for whatever I was showing him. But I turned it into an acronym, which is why the name is always in caps, and it's forever rising, exceeding sudden hardships. So this idea of always being the best version of yourself and uh, was really important to me, particularly at that time. But you know, ever since it's like my reminder. Uh, so fresh was that was my definition. Then you know I got rid of the MC thing because at some point I, I kind of realized I wasn't just rapping, I was also making the beats and stuff like that. So it was more than just an MC and I I wanted to incorporate my culture into it. I got to that point, as we spoke about before, where I was like, okay, well I need to do me and not be, you know, I need to bring that out more. So it became L fresh and the L stands for lion. And that comes from, uh, in Sikh um, uh, uh, culture, Women are given a surname or middle name Kaur, which translates to princess or royalty. Men are given Singh, which is lion. And the reason for those, just very briefly, uh, is uh, in Punjab at the time, and even to this day, your surname indicates your social status and class status in society. So when Sikhism came about, it was about eliminating those, those barriers and, and, and trying to hammer home that point of equality. But you couldn't do that when you lived in such a strict caste system. So it was like, you, you become a Sikh, you abandon your surname, and it's just such and such core, such and such sing. And you are royalty, you are lying, you are, you are beyond the, ca- the class and caste system. Um, so I wanted to incorporate that idea of a line and, and what that means to me, so it became Elfresh. And I did my first um, national tour of Australia when I just turned 21, opening up for an international act. And it was the first time I saw my name on a poster in that way. I hadn't put out any, any music commercially, so I knew that going into the, the tour that people were not going to remember my music. They probably wouldn't have been able to find it because it wasn't released. But... I wanted to give them an experience that they will remember. And so what we did during our set was halfway through the performance, my DJ would play lion roars on loop and I would pace like on stage in a figure eight, like prowling like a lion for like 30 seconds, 40 seconds. It was like hella awkward, but it, it worked. It worked because um, people remembered that moment. Um, <laughs> I, I remember bumping into like bouncers at the or Theater, which is where one of the shows was, and they're like, "Yo, Lion!" and I'm like, "Oh, cool, <laughs> it worked." You know, like that was really cool. Um, very and,
0: good personal branding.
1: Yeah, pretty much. But then there was a flaw to that, and this is where this is where the name change came because there's a flaw to that because people. I, I figured afterwards people would search for, you know, Lion a rapper or something or whatever, or, you know, on Google but they wouldn't be able to find it because L was too subtle. You know, L, for, it, it, was, it was, yeah, way too subtle. So two things for that. Hip-hop is not subtle, it's in your face. But also that was stupid of me. So it was like, okay, it needs to be L Fresh the Lion so people can find it.
0: So you're actually like ATM machine. You're Lion Fresh the Lion.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Double it up. Let's double it up. Why not? <laughs>
0: Uh, just you t- talking about the caste system in India, have you ever performed in India?
1: No, I would love to. If anybody could hook that up, let's make it happen.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, I think we've got time maybe for one or two more questions, just down the front here. What's your actual name? Good question.
1: Yeah, so my first name is Sugdeep, which means to be a light for peace.
0: It's a very fitting name. Do we have one more question up the back? Did you still have a question? Uh, Hi. Um, it, when you reflect on, you know, growing up and your high school days in southwest Sydney, it sounds like you had a really great time. So, what was that like for you? Because high school is usually a nightmare for people, and especially growing up in, in Para and in western Sydney. What was that like? And it seems to have had a good influence on you. Well,
1: it's what you take from the experience, right? Um, I hated high school. Um, there's a lyric in one of the songs on Become, a song called Black and White, where it says, I had a teacher in school that used to tell me to smile. I uh, had a teacher in school tell me I should smile more. And my reply was, there's not much worth smiling for. you know. Mm-hmm. And that was a high school experience. But... Um, Yeah, it was definitely challenging and it was, you know, challenges around identity, where I fit in, do I belong, do I not belong, living in a world that tells me I don't, whether that was here or when we would go and visit in India, you know, and it was challenging over there because it was like I'd only heard about my connection to this place, specifically Punjab, not necessarily India, but specifically Punjab. Through stories, you know, my connection was through stories, you know, and through my parents' association and direct connection. So it was like, okay, well, I don't feel like I belong anywhere really. So it was really challenging as a teenager. But, you know, a- again, going back to where we started, it's it's what you take from it and how you build, you know, and and uh, you know, all of that stuff was learning for me and still is learning. Um, and it's yeah, it's definitely informed, you know who I am and what I do. So I I feel like I take Southwest Sydney with me everywhere I go, you know, the the good and the bad. But um, I like to reflect just the good and, you know, address the bad when I need to. But like we were saying before, (laughs) find a space to create and create the ideal if possible. Otherwise, if we need to address it, then let's go in and address it properly and tackle the root causes and all that stuff. But um, yeah, I love Southwest Sydney. It's home, I still live there. You know, I lived in Melbourne for a little bit, but I've gone back to, to South West Sydney and yeah, goes with me everywhere.
0: What's next on the horizon for you? What does 2017 hold for El Fresh The Line?
1: Yeah, we go to Canada soon for Canadian Music Week, which would be awesome. And then we come back and do Groove in the Moo, the Groove in the Moo tour. And then after that, we'll figure out the rest. Um, I've Been doing a lot of work kind of behind the scenes and a bunch of different things, hopefully for this year and, and the next couple of years. but. Um, I feel like I just have a lot to learn, uh, a lot more to grow and just get better. I just want to get better at what I do, you know, Um, so I can keep coming out and smashing it and and having fun with everybody, you know. So, yeah, just getting better.
0: Uh, I can, yeah, definitely... Uh, t- talk to that when you ever whenever you see oh fresh the lion on stage you can tell this is a guy who doesn't ever settle he's always trying to make the next performance even better than the last if you For missed sure. out on him yesterday he is playing one more time at where Adelaide uh tomorrow on stage three at 4 pm and I highly encourage everyone I think it's going to be a little bit sunnier tomorrow
1: yeah I hope so, so uh, we, yeah um, get we're, out there. we're changing the setup a little bit too we had a few surprises that we weren't able to showcase yesterday but um so it'll be it'll be quite different from from yesterday.
0: Oh, cool. So if you saw him, just go and see him again anyway. And please um, join me in thanking Elfresh the Lion.
1: Thank you all so much.